Hey, modern explorers, you're listening to Midland in our own words, a bi-monthly podcast uncovering Midland County's history as told by you, our community and listeners. Each podcast, we'll introduce never before heard stories and tales through personal testimonials and memories passed down through generations. Subscribe to our podcast today to further discover the history of Midland County and send us a note if you have a story you'd like to share. This podcast is part of the Midland County Historical Society's Oral History Project. For more information, please visit midlandcenter.org backslash oral history. I'm Betty Jones, and I'm here today to talk with my old friend, old and two-aged Vern, um, Vernon Falva. We all call him Vern. And um, I met Vern when I first came to Midland in 1968. He'd been here about seven or more years then. Um, Vern, just by way of introduction, is a founding member of United Church of Christ. He and his wife, Dorothy Falver, who were very good friends of mine, were civil rights activists in Midland in the early 1960s when the first black professionals and families were being recruited by Dow Chemical and Dow Corning corporations. The Falvers worked diligently with other white church members to welcome the new families to a, an often nervous community and sometimes resistant. And United Church was a frequent meeting place for these people. Most of this group has passed on. And Vern is currently in his 90s and is in assisted living. His memories and insights from this time in Midland's history from a white perspective would be just invaluable. So we are looking forward, Vern, to having what you have to say and catching your memories while we can get them. Okay? Okay. Um, the first thing I guess I would ask to get you started is to tell us a little bit about what Midland was like when you came, before anybody else, before anybody else got here, because you came in 1957? Well, yeah, January 58. 58, okay. <laughs> yeah. So, what was, and, you, and you came here from Chicago. <clears throat> well, that history is something I want to get into, but yes, we came uh, by train. The train from Chicago uh, dropped a car off uh, down south and brought it up. They brought the sleeper car up, um, parked it in Midland, and uh, took us to the uh, uh, Bay Hotel. No, it's the hotel in Bay City for breakfast. And a Dow car picked us up and brought us over to Midland and deposited us at the country club. Oh. And that was something. Uh, <laughs> the, the next morning, uh, we got up and looked out got dressed, went for a little stroll out the front door and saw three feet of snow. The clerk, when we came back in, said, are you out of your mind? It's cold out there. <laughs> <laughs> what month was that? January. January. Yeah. We came in January, too, so yeah. I know how that was. Yeah. They, Michigan had big snows then. Yeah. Yeah. But it was uh, very difficult to find a place to live. Uh, Dow had a number of... Uh, listings, but we didn't have a car, and Dorothy did a lot of walking, 
uh, to see that check these things out. First place was a, a room, uh, three doors with a Memorial Presbyterian Church, the nice family, uh, and Dorothy went looking for apartments from there. Finally, uh, got one down um, by where the old fire station was on Ashman Street. Oh yeah. And that wasn't very nice. And all of a sudden, we found that uh, the Deludes, Doctor Dennis Delude, Dennis Dentist, Doctor Lude, uh, had remodeled an old house across from the Methodist Church, and added his own new house to this and made it into apartments. And we got one of the first apartments there. And the interesting highlight about that is that the uh, Deludes, Cleon Delude, had a housekeeper, Judson, um, the, the, the first black person in town, the one that had been here for a long time. What's her name? It's in your book. Who? Uh, his last name was Jensen, wasn't it? I don't know. Oh, the darn old man. You're talking about the housekeeper? Yeah. She was the only black person in town. She'd lived here for years. Oh, was that Mrs. Hudson? Yes. yes okay. Yes. So, and Dorothy worked for a while, and we decided she didn't need, we didn't need the money, and so she was around the house, got to know her. And uh, they had interesting conversations. Um, and then, ultimately, uh, we found a church so she was, Mrs. Hudson was the first black person you met? Yes, but, you know, she, like your book says, she'd been here all her life. Yeah, she did. Yeah, yeah. She, uh, Mrs. Hudson was um, a biracial child, actually, but her mother had died. Yeah. And her uh, aunt and uncle took care of her. Yeah. It was her mother's sister. But she did housework around yeah. the area. So that's interesting. I never knew that yeah. uh, about you. Okay. So that was your first step into Midland, Michigan. Yes. Now tell me about how you got into being a founding member of a, of a church. Ah, this is a story. <laughs> um, well, I was brought up in the Disciples of Christ Church, and it wasn't anything. My family wasn't big. Um, I guess they were active a little bit, but uh, Dorothy's family was from the Evangelical Reformed Church, mm. which was an uh, old German background church. Uh, and uh, her grandfather had started a church up in the north side of Chicago. Her granddaughter had? Her grandfather. Oh, grandfather. And the whole family um, was familiar with this, this Evangelical Reformed Church. And uh, I liked it and I had joined it. So we came to Midland and uh, there was no Evangelical Reformed Church in Midland. Um, there were churches in Bay City and one in Saginaw, but we didn't have a car. So uh, I had a couple of classmates that had come to Midland the year before I did. and. Uh, so I, they picked us up, and uh, of course the first thing we did was look across the street at First Methodist, and for a young couple, 
new to town, that was a little big for us. My one friend was going to Trinity Lutheran, and they lived out in 20, picked us up and took us to Trinity Lutheran Church, um, which was a little different for us. Um, not uh, exactly our, our best choice, but we knew some, we met some people, sang in the choir, uh, but ultimately something happened with um, my parents were here for a weekend and it was communion at the Lutheran Church and uh, the pastor did not want to give them communion. He suggested the next time that they came up, make sure it wasn't a communion Sunday. And that kind of finished us there. <laughs> so evangelical- Did you say the minister didn't want to give them communion? Because they weren't members. Oh. Yeah. So communion oh. was not free. I mean, it wasn't open. Yeah. Hmm. Um, so the other height of evangelical reformed, we tried the reformed church, and that was much too conservative for us. I bet. <laughs> and I called the, the pastor from the church at Purdue, and he said, well, uh, maybe you could start your own. <laughs> and uh, so that initiated work with the Michigan Conference of the uh, well, at that time it was still the Evangelical Reformed Church, which became the United Church of Christ mm. along the, the way. Um, so we did serve in, well, Dorothy, uh, not working, was listening to the radio during the day and talk radio, uh, announcer named Bill Robbins on oh, WMPX, yeah. uh, had this talk show and the people from the various uh, conservative churches out around the county and all were calling in and complaining about various things and Dorothy would always call back and counter their uh, comments and Bill Robbins kind of encouraged all that. So uh, the uh, uh, church, the statewide church. I want you to hold your head up a little bit so I can tell you better. State, statewide church uh, uh, gave us they listened to us and thought they might look into it. And uh, we did finally get a car and went to the church in Saginaw uh, uh, for services. Well, not every night, every Sunday. But that pastor then contacted the local or the state organization. And we had conversations back and forth. And finally, uh, they came up and or surveyed the town and populations and things and decided that uh, it would be a place to start a church. Mm. Well. So there you were at the forefront. <laughs> yeah. Uh, <laughs> the, the committee uh, that came to survey the town uh, came on an, af an afternoon. This uh, second floor apartment that we had had casement windows and Dorothy was sitting in the windowsill washing windows and this car parked outside with four gentlemen who came to the door and uh, uh, they were the committee and uh, wanted to let me you know, let us know that they were seriously looking at the town hmm. and one thing led to another when they finally chose a pastor uh, who was one of the committee members and uh, our son no our daughter was no our son was just born and uh, Dorothy had just 
gotten home with him. And this car pulled in and gentleman walked up to the door and uh, she said, oh, have you decided on a new pastor? And he said, yes, it's me. <laughs> so there we were, a committee of three. <laughs> that, uh, was that Glenn? That was Glenn. That was Glenn Bauman? Yeah. I'll be darned. Yeah. And he had had a church down in Highland, Michigan. Uh, that's where he was. And mm. So they called him to come. And he was the one that pushed all this. You know, he came from Highland, Michigan, so he had a lot of in, uh, contact with race mm. relations at the point. I think audience needs to know that we're sitting in the very church <laughs> that Vern, Vern and Dorothy participated in founding. And Reverend Bauman was the first minister yes. of this church. Yep. Um, I, I think that's important because the church was so active when the community started to change. Yeah. And uh, Glenn Bauman was one of the leaders, and I know that you and Dorothy were in the forefront of that too. So I want to lead you to talk a little bit about that. Um, how, did, how did Glenn approach the congregation about that? I know you had your first meetings at Chestnut Hill School. Well, before that, uh, we met in his uh, house over here. Uh, it had some sort, not, not Sunday services, mm -hmm. but uh, weeknight we'd have a service of some sort. Um, and he really was the one that did all the, the, that work. Uh, I wasn't, there was no physical thing that I did especially, except participate in the things that he started. And I'd like to backtrack for a minute though, because okay. I, wa I want to tell you about uh, Dorothy's history and mine before we got here. Okay. As I said, uh, her, her parents grew up on the north, near north side of Chicago, and that was German and Jewish. And uh, so there was uh, no problem between that, uh, the, them and the uh, Jewish population. That wasn't a, a serious thing. We got, um, well, I graduated from high school a year after Dorothy did. She had a job on the south side of Chicago. It was at 34th Street. And in those days, that was the borderline for black and white. Um, she had a job with Eastman Kodak Processing Lab and sat there with, in one office with her and an African-American girl. They got to be very close friends. Mm. I remember Dorothy talking about that, yeah. yeah and Was that an Eastman Kodak? Eastman Kodak. Okay. And um, Dorothy really wanted to go to this person, see this person's apartment. And she said, no, you can't do that. That would not work. Uh, so Dorothy got early connections with the race relations. Mm-hmm. So we got... Let me ask one question. Was your high school integrated or was it all white? Uh, yes and no. <laughs> it, it was not particularly segregated, but because of the way the town was, there were only two African-American girls in our classes. I see. And they lived over there. Over uh, there. On, on, <laughs> I see. On the, west, on the east side of town, yeah. Yeah. And no, I, I think they probably walked to school. Uh, yeah. 
Uh, and I, you know, I don't think I was aware of what was going on until later. <clears throat> but um, we got married, and I was still in the Navy. And I was stationed in Memphis, Tennessee. We found an apartment on the outskirts of town. Dorothy got a job downtown, and I, of course, was out at the base. The bus that took her downtown left the white neighborhood where we lived, went through the ring of black neighborhoods, and then downtown. Uh, bus would be fairly loaded with white people when she got on, and there was room. African Americans got on the bus, but they had to stand up because there were no seats ahead of the, the last <clears throat> white person they had to sit behind them. Dorothy was in the middle, and she would get up and move to the front of the bus and let them sit down. Developed a number of nasty comments from the bus drivers about it. Don't imagine, he, don't imagine he would like that. No, he... <laughs> yeah. Anyhow, so that went on. It was uh, from January until um, March, something No, April. We lived with this family that were white people in Memphis. <laughs> they took us to their cottage one Sunday afternoon. And there, along the road, there was an African-American boy with a stick running it along a picket fence. And after we drove by, she said, oh, see that little boy. I want to grab that stick and hit him with it. Who, who said that? Our landlord. Oh. After I got discharged early, so we had a little bit of time we actually made it downtown in Memphis for a uh, dinner at the Peabody Hotel. Mm. Uh, before that, we did a little walk around town, and we walked over on, I can't remember the name of the street, but it was a famous street that was not a white street. And uh, I had the experience of somebody stepping off into the gutter to walk past us, you know. That did go on, didn't oh, it? Oh, yeah. And, uh, Was this in Chicago or no, Tennessee? Memphis. Memphis, Memphis Tennessee. Tennessee. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so that... Uh, well, one thing, when we got to Memphis... No, when we got... Yeah, when we got to Memphis, the um, Dorothy had to go to the toilet, and she headed for the closest restroom, and somebody said, oh, you can't go in there. That's black. <laughs> So she almost wet her pants trying to get to the... <laughs> you know, I remember there were separate restrooms, right? Yeah, oh yeah. yeah. You know, separate, you were breaking the law if you went in the wrong one. Separate drinking fountains out on the street. Yeah. Yeah, yeah signs yeah. above. Oh. So that was a background that we had. Yeah. You know. Uh, anyhow, uh, Glenn Bauman was a fantastic person. And, uh, you didn't quite find that in Midland, though, when you came here. No. Yeah. And you came to work for Dow. I did. Okay. Were you in the chemistry? Um, well, I was an engineer in... An engineer. In the, in the plant. Okay. Um, 
Charlie Strosecker was the, he's retired, he was retired, but he was the, it was his department of research people that we were with. I see. No African Americans there. No, no, I don't, th I think it was Dow policy then. It not was, to, yeah, yeah. Not yeah. to hire uh, oh. African Americans. Okay. Um, so when were you aware of change in Midland? Well, from what you found when you came here? Oh, when the Normans arrived. <laughs> okay. Yeah, and uh, they showed up in church, and uh, we all welcomed them. And I, I can't recall what we did, but at that time we didn't have this social hour, this social hall. Yeah, this part wasn't no, there. Yeah. yeah. So it was a rather small area underneath the, the where the Mm -hmm. underneath the deck at that time. And um, I just can't recall how much socializing we did, but, um, and I can't recall why I didn't have more involvement. Dorothy was involved with some of these things. The first thing that I remember, and I don't like to brag particularly, but shortly after that Sunday, there was a symphony, a Midland Symphony, program, we had tickets for it. And the audience was in the center section, nobody sitting off over on the side. Lynn came in, Lynn Dorman came in and sat over there by himself. Was that here at the church? No, or? at the high school. At the high school? High school auditorium. Okay. <clears throat> Our seats were on the aisle and I said, that's the fellow that was at church the other day. And he was sitting all by himself. So I got up and went over and introduced myself and sat with him for a while. Um, I didn't hear anything. I, I went back and sat with Dorothy when the program started. Uh, and I, apparently there were some comments among the other people there, but I didn't, we didn't hear anything. Lynn was probably the only person of color at that concert. Oh, yeah. 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 Uh, at the time, Midland was not at all well socialized to anybody of color. I think it had been so accustomed yeah. to being an all-white community. Right. Um, but um, what would, how would you describe the general attitude of people when the Dormans came? Well, again, because my association was with the church here, um, it was wonderful with us, and uh, I guess we didn't, as a couple, have a large social fellowship with people outside of church. So we didn't hear comments mm. from the people who were... Except on the radio. Oh, no, well, Dorothy, Dorothy <laughs> over the radio, yeah. <laughs> Yeah. I've heard, did you not listen to the radio? Pardon? Did you not listen to the radio? Well, it was during the day that the, those talk shows were Oh, and were you on. were working. I was working, yeah. Oh, well, you missed all that good Yes, stuff. I did. Oh, I, I heard about <laughs> it, though, yeah. Yeah, well, I know that um, United Church was very active in welcoming newcomers to the neighborhood, and... Um, 
Your former pastor, Glenn Bauman, is someone that I just truly admired. I, oh. I still miss Glenn. We all did. Um, and he was really a person of outreach who um, yeah. wanted to bring in all kinds of people to share with each other. Yeah. So, um, well, what are some of the things you remember happening here? I do remember that when the um, Midland Black Coalition started, Glenn provided space for them to to meet in this this building. Yep. And um, but now all pastors in the city were not um, as open to this. And I think there were lots of questions about that. We call that the MBC. Yeah. Do you remember that? No, I don't no? because I, I I wasn't involved. I think I was doing Christian education and other jobs around the church, and I didn't get into some of that stuff. So, uh, I, sorry, I can't tell you. About I it. do remember, though, that you and Dorothy became involved with the Bay City NAACP. We did. Yeah. And I've been trying to figure out how that <laughs> happened. <laughs> Probably the Dormans introduced you to that. Uh, something. I think because we went over to some freedom. Was it? There were banquets once a year. Yeah, and we banquet, went, and they had marches. Yeah. Don't remember being in a march. Son, my son thinks that he went in one, but it would have been 1964 or something like that. So. Yeah, uh, I think you did. Um, in something else that I have, it says that you and Dorothy went with your two children to a march in Bay City. I'm glad you said that because John remembers it, but I don't. But you don't remember <laughs> no. it. Okay, we'll give we'll give you a pass on that okay, one. Okay, <laughs> yeah. But I yeah. Mem remember going to the banquets over in Bay City. Uh, I do remember that as a very active time um, with the Reverend Bauman, and I remember that as a time when um, the Midland. Council on Community Relations started, mm -hmm. and Glenn was a founding member of that. Did you ever participate with that group? No, no. I, and I don't know why, not that I didn't support it, it's just that uh, I guess I was detached, I was doing other things. Yeah, I recall that you and Dorothy were very active. Uh, I, 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 I'm sorry that you have forgotten some of this. This is, this is exciting stuff. <laughs> yeah. Um, and the other thing I remember is that you were active with the Democratic Party. Yeah. And you and Dorothy hosted at your home on um, Wheeler Road. Yeah. A, um, I was going to say inauguration, not inauguration, it was a, a political um, it was party during the election. Yeah. And all of these people came. There were some really pretty well-known names, actually, that were there. Do you remember that party? I remember the party, but I didn't remember the people's names. Your book uh, pointed that out to me. Oh, okay. Yeah. You need my book, don't you? <laughs> it's a good thing to write things down so people can <laughs> well, jump their memories. And one point about that, uh, another connection in town was that the Hawtons bought a house uh, backyard to backyard from us. Oh, that's right. They did live in that area, didn't yeah. they? Yep. Okay. 
So you had black neighbors. <laughs> yes. Good, 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 good. Yeah, they were very uh, helpful for us because uh, one of our members went to their house one night and she was socializing with something. Anyhow, when uh, she got to the Houghtons, she looked over at our house and said, uh, that looks funny over there, there's a fire of some sort. And indeed, our back door, uh, back porch area was on fire and they oh. saw it. And both of us were down at the high school for a rehearsal from student production of some sort. And if she hadn't seen that, we'd have lost the whole house. For heaven's sake, how did that fire start? Apparently, well, the contractor was uh, putting an addition, an addition to the back entry. Mm -hmm. And he had uh, just kind of taken the back porch light down, and tied a couple of wires to a socket, oh. and the wind blew a spark of some sort and started the roof on fire. Carelessness. Yeah. Anyhow, yeah. So that was a... Well, back to your um, political um, <laughs> associations. As a result of your involvement in that, I, I'm recalling that you were one of four families, I think, that had a KKK cross put on their lawn. Yeah. Now talk a little bit about that. When did you find it? What did it mean to you? It was, it was a Sunday morning. Uh, our, our house had a 150-foot driveway with pine trees <clears throat> between the house and the street <clears throat> so that uh, couldn't see what was going on. And I drove to church, didn't, wasn't looking there, but <clears throat> we had a spot, a separate parking spot out of the street, and the cross was uh, leaning against a tree. Now this is only a two by two wooden thing, but uh, it had a- Symbolic. Yeah. Uh, so I saw it when I came back from church and didn't realize at that time that there were several other ones around town. Um, it, um, it probably came from something, some comment that <laughs> Dorothy had made on a talk show. Or We have no idea what brought it on. Mm. Um, in fact, you gave that cross to the Midland Historical Society, yes. and we have it. Yeah. Yeah, so it, it is a symbol. But I think Glenn Gaum, Bauman got one, yeah. the Baumans and the Ermintrouts. Right. You, and there was somebody else. Uh, that was the one I didn't recognize. I saw it in your book, but I, I don't remember. Okay. Well, we know about yours. Yeah. <laughs> we do know about yours. Okay. How did you find your career um, at Dow? I mean, what was the company like? And what was your work like? Who, who did you work with? What, what, <laughs> Were there people of color in the workforce then? I mean, after, no. after? No. 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 Uh, in fact, <clears throat> uh, I was in process engineering, and uh, that meant that I worked with, uh, wow, first managerial level people. Uh, I was like a engineer in, in, uh, at large, working with several plants, mm -hmm. and uh, I'm not aware of any African-American workers uh, or uh, salaried people either. Mm. Uh, perhaps uh, like in the uh, 
cafeteria, I don't remember for sure, but uh, certainly not out in the plant. Mm -hmm. uh, <clears throat> worked for several different uh, managers. For a time, I was in uh, the Britain, Edgar C. Britain Research Lab, which was a corporate lab, and there, I don't believe there were any, there were not any African-American chemists in that group either. That was... I, I think Len Dorman was in that lab at first. Not that lab, but that, that department, yes. That department. But not where I would have been. The final stage of my career, I worked in the uh, environmental services area. Mm -hmm. Now this is an area that, that interfaced with the state and the federal government. And Wilma Delaney was the manager of that department. I didn't, I don't think I've seen your name in her book at all, but uh, there was also a group that you did know, Billy Strotter was one. Um, oh, I had his name before. It's in your book. Anyhow, there were uh, a couple of other African-American workers in that department, and Billy had a Bible study at noon. Oh. And we got together. Uh, Mary Haslam uh, joined the department, and uh, she from our church, <laughs> uh, and uh, she came to the Bible study. Leroy Hampton is the name I was trying yeah, to. Yeah, Leroy Hampton was there. Yeah. Okay. Uh, and, and thinking back now, I can see that that was a must have been some incentive to make sure that that department was interracial. To work with the government. Uh, yeah, I think that um, the EEO Act had been passed yeah. and the government was, I mean, if you had any contract with the government, you had to show yeah. that you had equal opportunity for. Yeah. And by that folks. time, there yeah. were a number of uh, chemists over in the corporate area mm. that I, I wasn't familiar with them. Okay. Okay. One incident. I'm hesitant, you maybe want to cut this out, but I tell a tale on Faye Dorman because their house was just across the backyard of the school from here. Mm -hmm. Their back porch, and it was a little rise, a little hill over there, so they had a back porch that looked towards the schoolyard. And she remarked at one point uh, how some of the children were curious about this person over there, and she felt like one day she was going to get a half a watermelon and put on her shorts and sit out there on the deck and eat that watermelon <laughs> while they were at recess. That sounds like some of Faye. Yeah. Uh, yeah. That was such a funny thing. Uh, Indeed. Well, you know, I think there, were, there was um, a lot of fun made about these things in within the black community and their, their friends whom they considered close to them. Um, but um, it, was, it was really more serious business then. I mean, it was a matter of, mm. and thinking about it now, I think that this community was probably pretty scared and afraid when mm. these new folks started moving in.
Mm. For um, from 1960 to 1964, there was only two families, two mm. black families, the Dormans and the and the Houghtons. Mm. But after that, many more came. I think my husband and I and our family were part of that later group, but we were there before 1970. Mm. Uh, and after 1970, we had quite a few people come in. So there was a necessity to have a lot of conversation with people so they knew that we would not bite them or, yeah. <laughs> yeah. or, or do harm. Uh, but at the same time, remembering that in larger cities, they were having riots. I mean, it was pretty violent in some of the cities. Chicago was one, Detroit was one, yeah. Washington, D.C., which we had just left with had quite a, quite a big thing. So you were reading about all of that in the papers, you know, and folk probably didn't know what in the world yeah. was going on. So I think it's an important period um, and very revealing in that Midland was able to get through that um, without, you know, a lot of um, violence and, and mean things. I mean, you yeah. had things like crosses on people's lawns, but yeah. that wasn't hurting anybody, really. Yeah. Um, and I do count, Vern, uh, and it's valuable to have you here, that the role that this church played in helping that, helping the whole community work that through, I think it's just historic. I really do. Yeah. Um, and you were part of that, even though you may not remember, <laughs> you may not remember all of it. <laughs> Well, one thing that just came to mind that I meant to comment about, uh, talking about other African Americans in town, does the name Leon Anderson mean anything to you? Who? Leon Anderson. Oh, absolutely. I remember Leon. Yeah. Leon was uh, a shoeshine boy. You, you knew that, I assume. He, he worked at Irish Barbershop. That's right. And there's a big poster on the wall when he retired, that somebody put together, <clears throat> and they were members of this church. Uh, he was a funny guy. <laughs> the story I know about Leon was that um, Leon, Leon came here from New Jersey, but he wanted to marry Evelyn. Remember Evelyn? Oh, yeah. Um, it was an inter interracial marriage. Yeah. But they were members of the church here. Yeah. yeah, but the thing was that no other pastor wanted to marry them. <laughs> and Glenn agreed to do that. Oh. Yeah, so that's how they got married and became a member of United Church. Yeah. So, again, that just shows you what kind of situation we were oh, living yeah. in. Oh, yeah. yeah, yeah. Well, that's a lot of sharing you've done. Um, <laughs> I, I don't want to over over um, work you here, but I also want you to say whatever you'd like to say in in bringing this to a close or a memory. How would you like to be remembered? Um, oh. Oh, he did good. <laughs> Remember me that way. One thing I, I can't place in my memory, and I think it was you, but I'm not sure. Dorothy and I were at Kroger's, I think, grocery store anyhow, in the salad aisle, and uh, you or somebody just like you <laughs> came down the other way, uh, somebody that we had just met, an African-American, and uh, Dorothy was looking in the uh, 
vegetables, and I saw you, and we kind of had a hug and a circle and then went apart. And I can't remember exactly who it was, but I've never forgotten the moment because I think other people in the store were going, what? Well, we were huggers. <laughs> There's no doubt about that. Um, yeah, and, and we hugged irrespective of color. So yeah. it could have happened. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Listen, I want to thank you so much for, for, for taking the time and doing this, Verna. I, I know that it taxed your memory, but that's good. Um, and we've gotten some of the, some of the perspectives, I think, that, that you do remember. And they mm -hmm. will be valuable for people uh, looking at this in between. Um, this is videoed, and so they'll be able to see you while you talk. Mm -hmm. You'll be infamous. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you very much. Oh, thank you. It's been a wonderful experience. Now that I know how bad my memory is, I'm going to do more writing. <laughs> Good for you. Good for you. Thanks a lot.